scripture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. We continue uh, on this sermon series, Come and Follow Me, which is a series on the book of Luke. And uh, we're, we're just in the beginning of Luke. We've had one sermon so far. And we're going to go ahead and go with the second sermon. And these are very familiar, great sermons because they deal with the Christmas story, which is probably apropos as we're in November. Well, hear these words uh, from the scripture. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you've been following uh, the political things going on in our country, uh, but it's been quite a week, hasn't it? Uh, I think someone was telling me it's the greatest um, gains for anyone in a hundred years uh, in terms of the shift, uh, the number of seats gained in the House and in the Senate. Uh, pretty powerful stuff. You know, uh, politics, who was that guy that says, you know, it, it's, it's bare, bare knuckles and back rooms. Uh, you know, it, it is in the trenches trying to communicate your message, uh, really pouring your heart and soul into it. And there were victories, the thrill of victory, and there was the agony of defeat as well. I do want to share, though, about this person you may have never heard of. Her name is Sarah Blair. And Sarah was elected the youngest uh, state legislature in the history of West Virginia at age 18. And uh, the average state legislature, legislator is 54 years old. But Sarah, who was a high school student at the time, a senior, felt aspirations to do something. And so she ran and went ahead and beat the incumbent two-time Republican legislature when she was 17 and could not even cast a vote. So now it was her time to go ahead against, in the real legislature, uh, you know, in the real battle, that was a primary And so as a West Virginia freshman, she did most of her campaigning out of her dorm. Her name's Sarah Blair, a fiscally conservative 18-year-old, will represent a small district in West Virginia, about one and a half hours outside Washington, D.C. What Ms. Blair campaigned on was uh, reducing taxes in business and also holds anti-abortion and pro-gun positions. She uh, defeated Democrat Lane Deal, a 44-year-old Martinsburg attorney. Ms. Blair will be the youngest state maker in the nation, according to records. There are more than 7,300 state legislatures in the U.S., and fewer than 5% are under the age of 30. 
She's going to defer her spring semester to go ahead and be the, in the legislature, and she'll do it again. Uh, she also contributed nearly $4,000 to her own campaign because she said she had to have skin in the game. Isn't that amazing? A 17-year-old gets a vision, runs and wins in the primary, and then continues on, an 18-year-old lawmaker, clearly an aspiring politico. She had vision and she had hopes, and she stepped up and against the impossible, uh, she managed to win. You know, we all have hopes and dreams in our lives. A vision maybe of who we're going to be and what we're going to accomplish. When you're younger, it might be getting married or attending a certain college or starting out with a particular job. Your life is in front of you. You have hopes and dreams of how you want it to look like. Maybe when you're more middle-aged, you're seeing your kids grow up and you aspire to see them leave the house. You're hoping for them to leave the house and go and, you know, uh, you know go into college maybe or go into work and, you know, become independent, uh, you know, good people, good citizens living their life in the right way. Maybe you're older and you have hopes and dreams of seeing grandchildren and seeing the legacy of your life before you of leaving a mark in the world. We all have hopes and dreams, and so did Mary. We tend to think of Mary as sort of this icon up on the wall somewhere, you know, kind of peaceful and calm and everything. She was just a gal kind of like this one, though younger. She had hopes and dreams for her own life, a vision and picture of what she wanted it to look like. And then God came into the picture and showed her a path quite different from the one she envisioned. And she had a choice. How will she respond? Mary responded by giving all that she had to all that God had for her. And as a result, she is the most famous woman that ever has existed. And she not only witnessed the salvation of God, but she got to participate in it as she laid down her hopes and plans and dreams to pick up those of God. I want to suggest to you that the call of Mary's that the call of anyone in the, in the New Testament is the same call for us. That God comes into our life, interrupting our hopes and dreams and plans, and says, I have something for you. Something that you could never see on your own. Something greater than you could ever imagine. Will you follow me in the path that I have for you? And we're afraid and we're unsure. And we have to make a decision. Will we walk in the path of Mary or will we walk in the path of ourselves? Mary did three things here that I think we have to do if we're going to go ahead and make a decision to walk in the path of Mary. Number one, she entrusted her hopes to the praises of God. She entrusted her hopes to the praises of God. Number two, she entrusted her plans to the plan of God. And then finally, she entrusted her reputation to the provision of God. In fact, there she is on the phone right now, calling me. She entrusted her hopes to the praise of God. She entrusted her plans to the plan of God. And she entrusted her reputation to the provision of God. Well, let's take a look at these three points. Number one, she entrusted her hopes to the praise of God. The scripture says in verse 26, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, Mary grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. 
And so if you think about a map, you have uh, Jerusalem, um, Israel is right here, and the Mediterranean Sea is right here, France, Italy. And then there's Samaria, which is sort of the half-breeds, part Israelite, part uh, other nations. And then there was Galilee, up in the north part. And Galilee was the buffer zone against all the other nations. And so it was looked down upon because it was, uh, there was intermingling and trade with these other non-Israelites. And in fact, Nazareth seemed to be the most derided of all the towns in Galilee. I don't know if you remember when uh, uh, Nathaniel, the future disciple Nathaniel, was told that this one Jesus was from Nazareth. And his involuntary response was, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So lo and behold, Mary's in this backward city in Galilee, and the angel appears, not to a queen, not to an educated woman, not to a woman of standing, but to a virgin girl named Mary. Now in that time, uh, women were married early, somewhere from age 12 to 16 usually. By 17, 18, you were sort of getting up there. And so Mary was probably somewhere about 15 years old. A little younger maybe, a little bit older. Not unlike some of the gals in here today. She was young, but it was time for her life to progress. In fact, all of her friends were talking about the time that was coming for them when they would uh, get married and start their own family. We see that Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now in our world, we talk about engagement and marriage. So you're engaged and then you're married. But betrothal is a little bit different. In fact, Mary was already married to Joseph. They were betrothed. Money had been passed. The deal had been struck. It was just a matter of time, about a year, as the husband went ahead and built a home or a room on a home for his betrothed. And at a certain time, usually about a year, he would come and take her into his home and they would be fully married and they would consummate the marriage. And so Mary is off the market, so to speak. She is betrothed. She's thinking about her new life. She's reading Jerusalem Bride and thinking about the dress she's going to wear and the house. She walks by it as Joseph's working on it. A new husband, a new family, a new opportunity. So many hopes and dreams. You may remember it if you're a, a woman who was once married. Uh, you may be panicking if you uh, were a man uh, who remembers that time of trying to come up with cash and make this thing come together. And lo and behold, the angel comes and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This word greetings in Greek actually is, uh, is a better translation for it. A kyre would mean rejoice. It's in the imperative. It's actually a command. The angel comes in and says, Rejoice. The Lord is with you. Well, the Lord, he says, oh, rejoice, O oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. This favored one, in the Greek, doesn't translate well. It's, it's in what's called the present tense. Excuse me, the perfect tense. And what it means is, rejoice, O oh, favored one. You are favored and you will always be favored. You are my favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, God himself was not with you. What the message really said was the Lord is for you. So rejoice you who are highly favored. The Lord is for you. And Mary's reaction was quite uh, typical I guess. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The word there actually means intense fear. Mary is shaking in her boots as this angel stands inside her bedroom. But the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Isn't that interesting? Favor again. Don't be afraid. You will be with child and give, him birth, and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This angel makes this amazing promise. Mary, you who have found favor, you are going to have a child, Mary. And this child, who is named Jesus, will be great. The word there in the Greek, mega. He will be, we use this word mega. He will be great, this one. He will be the son of the most high God. This is no ordinary child, is what Gabriel is saying. He is great. His name is Jesus. You are going to have him. And he will inherit the throne of his father David. He will reign forever and his kingdom will never end. Now Mary knew what this meant. All of the Israelite children were steeped in the scriptures. And she knew that this one, the Messiah, would come. The one who was foretold in this covenant that God made with David. That one out of his family. The seed of Jesse. The stump. The seed that would grow out. Would come and would inherit the kingdom. He would be the king. He would be the Messiah. This was the one that Gabriel was talking about. What a promise to a young girl in backwards Nazareth who was just thinking about her husband and a good normal life. What's even more amazing than the promise that was given to Mary was the amazing response that she gave. She believed. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now you may think to yourself, that's not belief, that's unbelief. No, unbelief is this. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She didn't say, how can this be? She said, how will this be? She, she believed what, but she did not understand how. How is this going to happen? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. She knew Hebrew, Mary. And she knew where this word overshadow came from. It's only mentioned a couple times in the Bible. The first place it's mentioned is at the very beginning. Where there was God was there. And God said, let there be light. Remember? But before that, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters overshadowing it, so to speak. Of this chaos, he was going to bring life, almost like a, uh, like a dove hovering over its children. And as God spoke and the Spirit's power moved, life came out of nothing, out of chaos. It was also used in two different places. The first, when the tabernacle was erected, and then the second, when the, uh, when the temple itself and when Moses finishes building the temple and everything is in place and the first ceremony happens, God's holiness overshadows the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord so fills it. 
His presence that no one could enter. Gabriel is saying that God Himself is going to overshadow you, Mary, and through His Spirit breathe life into this new temple, your womb, that God is going to dwell there. For nothing is impossible with God. What was Mary's response? No way. Not going to happen. It's not possible, Gabriel. No, that wasn't her response. Maybe her response should have been this. What about my hopes? What about my dreams? I have my whole life ahead of me. I was just picking out China patterns 10 minutes ago. I had a picture of how I wanted my life to be. I had great hopes. What are you doing coming in and interrupting my life? No, she didn't say that, did she? She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. Mary exchanged all of her hopes, all that she had for all that God had for her. Why did she respond this way? She responded because God had come to her and said, you are highly favored. Not you have earned favor, but you are highly favored. I have come to tell you that I love you and you're special. And Mary looked at this angel and heard this message. And the praise of God was enough for her. She gave up something that she loved to get something far, far greater. Was Mary qualified? Certainly not as much as this gal who just won the election in West Virginia. No education, no standing, no anything. But the angel said, Greetings you who are highly favored. See, the scandal of the gospel, my friends, is that God has chosen to find favor with people not because they deserved it, but because He desires it. While Mary heard this message of how her life was going to be changed upside down, she heard the message of the gospel in it, that you are highly favored, and I've come to you, and I love you. Trust in me. Mary surrendered her hopes to get something greater. God's love was more than enough to replace her hopes. My question for you is this, what if God invaded your life? What if God came into the middle of you as you were living about your life with your hopes and dreams? And he said to you, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I've come to communicate to you that I love you, that you haven't earned favor with me. I simply desire to give it. I want to call you my own. Receive my praise and put your hopes on me. How would you respond? We all have hopes that we put on somewhere already, right? My future, my finances, my family, my friends. But the gospel, this amazing promise, requires an amazing response. And so if you want to know what it means to understand and fully grasp this love of God, you have to abandon your hopes to receive His praises. I'm not saying you have to get rid of the things that God has uh, put on your heart, that, that you want your life to be and do, but you have to abandon them to take up the praises of God. You have to shift all of these hopes onto the hope of God. 
to let this love of God, let this favor be on me. Mary exchanged all that she had for all that God had for her. And she truly knew the love of God because she did so. Because she entrusted her hopes to the plan of God. Well, number two, she entrusted her plans to the plan of God. If she entrusted her hopes to the praises of God, excuse me, she entrusted her plans to the plan of God. See, when she was hearing this message, she realized that there's a bigger plan going on here. That my life is wrapped up in something much bigger than simply my life. Because God is unveiling a plan of what is to take place. See, Mary knew that a Messiah would come. The Jews knew. They knew that a Messiah would come, but they did not know when he would come. They didn't know how he come. They didn't know who exactly he would be, and they didn't even know what exactly he would do. But after 400 years of quiet from God and 400 years of subjugation, they came to believe that eventually this Messiah would be a great political and military leader. That he would come and he would free Israel from this political oppression. He would cast off the restraints and Israel again would be great and powerful. But to hear this announcement stunned her because it was so much more than that. In Matthew we see that the reason why his name was to be called Jesus was because he saves his people, he will save people from their sins. Yeshua literally means God saves. So you are to call him Jesus, Mary, because he will save people from his sins, from their sins. What God is saying is the problem is not the Romans. The problem is not the political climate that you find yourself in. The problem is you're all condemned to death because you all have sinned. That you're in a broken relationship with God because of the rebellion of your hearts. And that God says the wages of sin is death. But here is one who has come not to conquer the Romans, not to restore the glory of Israel, but to conquer death itself. And as a result, the person I am sending for this bigger plan is a bigger power. This Messiah who would be born of a virgin, born of a Holy Spirit, the Son of God. God was not going to raise up a person to advance his work, salvation for his people. He was going to become that person to work salvation. He needed to become a man, and so he needed a mother. And Mary understood the bigger plan of God. But what about my plans, God? I've got it all laid out. I have my hopes, but I have my plans as well. This is how it's going to happen. This, this, this. She's counting the days off on her calendar. She's got it all figured out. Maybe like you've got it all figured out. But God's plan was much bigger than she could ever understand. And here's the truth. This is why I think God came to Mary. This is why God highly favored Mary. God came to her because she had already said yes to the plans of God before she knew what they were. See, there's nothing wrong with having our plans and our hopes and dreams. It's just a question of where it fits in the hierarchy. At some point, Mary had made a decision, little decisions in her life, that God's plan was the ultimate plan, and I'd rather have God's plan than mine no matter how good it looks. 
Mary had already said yes. Your plans, God, are greater than, and better. See, how you respond reveals who you worship. Mary had put her yes on the table before she even knew the question. She said yes to the plans of God. And so when this plan came along, and it was a doozy, she said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. You know, I had plans for my life. Already kind of etched it out a little bit, you know. You have ups and downs and try to figure it out. Well, I had figured it out. My calling is to preach the gospel. Hoping to have a church where I could do that. Hoping, hey, this is a great church. I'd love to be here all my life preaching the gospel. I'd love to see my kids grow up. Love to maybe get my PhD at some point. Maybe teach part-time at a seminary. I'd love to grow old and see my grandkids and die peacefully in my bed when I was 89 years old. 99, yeah, why not? My plans were set. And then my oldest son was taken. Age 17, out of the blue. Am I highly favored? I know I am. The gospel is for me. But this wasn't my plan, God. But God says, I have a plan. Mark's death was given to show the beauty of his life. To show the beauty of God's love. My goal and desire to preach the gospel, my son's death and writings, have talked to more people than I ever will. The gospel is being preached. But his plans sometimes are very hard. We don't fully understand them. They were hard for Mary too, you know. It wasn't just a, hey, this is going to work out great. Yeah, let's do it. His plans may be hard for you as well. But God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And as Mary saw the plans that God had for her, the bigger plan, the bigger Savior, because she believed in His favor, she could believe in His plans even when they didn't make sense. All of us have plans. But God says to each one of you, I want to use you. I want to work my life through you, my message through you to change the world. Go and make disciples. Let your life be a testimony of my grace. And in the same way as Mary put her yes on the table, God is calling you to do the same things. God, I don't understand your plans, but there's one thing I want more than mine, and that's yours. The most dangerous thing in the world is to put yourself outside the will of God. And the safest place to be is in the will of God, even though sometimes it looks quite scary. You can't say to God, I will say yes to your plans if it doesn't cause me any trouble. Or if it's inconvenient, I don't think so. You can't say, I will follow your plan as long as it doesn't hurt. As long as it doesn't mess up my life. No, God says, surrender your plans to me before you even know mine. Because my plan is bigger and better. So go ahead and list your plans, whatever they are. Go ahead and put them on down. Think about them. They're in there somewhere. And put an asterisk beside each one of them. You know how in a legal contract it says, look down at the bottom? 
And there on that addendum, let it say, God, whatever your plans are, I'm willing to give this one to you if you simply will show me what you want me to do. Mary entrusted her plans to the plans of God. And she experienced a life that no one has ever experienced before. This brings me to my final point. She entrusted her reputation to the provision of God. So she entrusted her hopes. She entrusted her plans. And guess what? She had to entrust her reputation. Because she was going to walk out that door and nobody was going to believe her. Would you? I've been... I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure you are. She was betrothed already to Joseph. She was married, but wasn't supposed to consummate the marriage. Everybody was going to look upon her. If Joseph, who knew the baby wasn't hers, accused her of this, of having this baby by another child, there was a legal right to stone her. He could choose to divorce her, and she would live alone with shame for the rest of her life. Even if Joseph didn't say anything and married her, they would both live under a cloud of suspicion all of their life. Which one do you want, door A, B, or C? They all lead to bad. Mary entrusted her reputation to God. All her relationships were going to change. Now based on what I read in the Greek, I think she was kicked out of her home when they went to go ahead and be registered in Bethlehem. No pregnant woman at that time would make that journey. Why did she go with Joseph? She had nowhere else to go. What about her friends who were giggling with her, thinking about wedding plans? No, I don't think they talked to her much anymore either. Her friends, everything was going to change in her relationships. We live on the other side, right? We could see as a mother what her life was like. How they had to flee for their lives from Bethlehem and run because of Herod's armies who were going to kill her. You could see what it was like raising a child who had been born out of wedlock, watching the hurt and the stones and the insults against her baby boy who she knew was the Son of God. Imagine through her heart thinking about that prophecy that a sword would pierce your side. Mary's thought was, once I walk out that door, once I respond, my life will be changed forever. And every response was so simple, so easy, and frankly, so quick. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. How did she do that? I think she was able to do that because the one who had already said yes before her would become her son. Jesus is the picture of true sacrifice and surrender. Like son, like mother. Because did not Jesus give up his rights and his plans to come to earth, to live in this place, to be uh, misunderstood, derided by people, to have everybody turn on him? His disciples, the ones who shouted Hosanna to the son of David to shout the next week, crucify him. Do you know have to run and flee sometimes because they were picking up stones to kill him? Was there anyone at the end of the day that understood him? 
But he was God in the flesh who came to give the message to his people. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you because I've died for you. Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. And Jesus Christ comes to us. You may be wondering, is God ever going to call me to something like this? Guess what? I'm doing it right now. This is the call of the gospel in your life. Will you say yes before you even know fully the life that he's going to take you on? I can't guarantee you that your life is going to be easy if you say yes to Jesus. I can't tell you everything's going to line up and it's going to work out. In fact, in Philippians it says, For it has been granted to you to suffer on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer. I don't know if you're going to suffer or not. But whatever your hopes, there's more to you. There are more to your hopes in the One who made you. Whatever your plans, God has a better plan for you than the one you have now. Whatever your reputation, is it worth it compared to being called the one who is most favored, a child of God through Jesus Christ? Everything has a cost-benefit, doesn't it? Hopes, benefits, plans, our plans, the plans of God, our reputation, the honor of God. Mary, in that small encounter with Gabriel, trusted God in his favor. She exchanged all that she had for all that God had for her. And she experienced what it meant to raise the Son of God. We are called to be bearers of the Savior ourselves. Not in the womb as in a woman, but in our hearts as the one in which God, Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, resides. If you want to know the presence and favor and love and nearness of the Lord, take your hopes and put them on Him. Take your plans and give them to God. Give God your reputation. And God will give you so much more. He will give you all of Himself. That's a bargain I challenge you to take up as your own. Let's pray. Lord, what strange ways in which you work. Going to change the world through a teenage virgin. Lord, as you came into her life, you speak into ours through the gospel. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Trust me with your hopes. I have more for you. Trust me with your plans. I have the plan. Trust me with what the world thinks of you. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what I think of you. Lord, give us the courage to exchange everything, the good, the bad, for all that you have for us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.